Well, if you have your Bibles with you this evening, please turn with me to Hosea chapter 4. Hosea chapter 4. This evening, we are going to be considering verses 1 through 10. 1 through 10. Join me once again in prayer. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word that we are about to read and receive from you. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through the scriptures by your spirit. Lord Jesus, be our teacher tonight, we pray. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight through Christ Jesus our Lord. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Well, Hosea chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the holy, the inspired, the inerrant, and infallible word of God, written for you and for me today. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. For the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying, killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break all restraint with bloodshed upon bloodshed. Therefore the land will mourn, and everyone who dwells there will waste away. With the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, even the fish of the sea will be taken away. Let no man contend or rebuke another, for your people are like those who contend with the priests. Therefore you shall stumble in the day. The prophet also shall stumble with you in the night, and I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because you have rejected knowledge. I also will reject you from being priests for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will, for, will forget your children. The more they increase, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. They eat up the sin of my people. They set their hearts on their iniquity. And it shall be like people, like priests. So I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their deeds. For they shall eat, but not have enough. They shall commit harlotry, but not increase, because they have ceased obeying the Lord. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word to us. Well, congregation of the Lord, when the sovereign, true, and living God foretells the, the future return of his people to himself. When he tells of their repentance and seeking after him, having abandoned their sin, that is a wonderful time for praise, as his mercy and love are on display. In fact, we see more and more of God and his love for his people here in Hosea. His love undergirds his pursuit of his undeserving unlovely 
adulterous people. His love undergirds his punishment and his chastening of them for their many sins as well. Now to help us understand our sin and our relationship with God, he graciously teaches us and shows us what we need to see in a variety of ways. God teaches us through his word, through his law. He, he gives us examples. He teaches us through aspects of his providence. With Israel, along with word, God had his message communicated clearly through real life relationships. The first of which, in Hosea's marriage to Gomer, God shined the light on what? On the nature and severity of their sin and offense. Now, in the second relationship that Hosea entered into with the adulteress in chapter 3, God, God emphasized the nature and the magnitude of his love. So see, in relationship 1, the nature and severity of their sin and offense. In relationship two, the nature and the magnitude of God's love. And as Hosea represented God in that relationship, and the adulteress represented Israel, God shows us a pure relationship with a great sinner. He shows us a pure relationship with a great sinner. He showed forth the love of the Lord for those who look to other gods and, and love the delicacies that sinners entice them with. Beautifully, God showed Israel and shows us a grand picture of our redemption in Christ. We were bought with a price of the precious blood of Christ. We were saved and given freedom in Christ to abandon our sin, to live a new life of holiness before the Lord all of our days. Yes, God's foretelling of Israel's return to him would be marvelously seen. As many Israelites repented, seeking after God, even at Pentecost. And we see that in Acts 2, 38 through 41. And so we find that God goes on here in chapter 4 to give more details of his complaint. And this evening, let's look at God's charge against Israel in verses 1 through 3. His words regarding the people stumbling and what they rejected and their forgetting in verses 4 through 6 as well as them being shamed and punished in verses 7 through 10. But firstly, see how God presses on the heart of the problem with Israel. Sin sowed discord between them and God. We see in verse 1 that he says, Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel, for the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. So as Israel had turned their backs on God, my, my friends, and chased after their lovers, it was time that they heard the word of the Lord. It was time that they heard the charge that he raised against them in his court because they broke covenant with him. They brought repro reproach upon him. And were ungrateful for his many gifts and blessings and graces to them. If you remember back in chapter 2, verse 2, God called the children to bring charges against their mother. And their mother is Israel. As he would bring his case. And here are important details regarding his case. 
Here, God commands the children of Israel to open their ears and listen to him, for he has come against them. And what was God's charge? There was a grave and clear absence of three critical things that must be present among the people of God. Look at those things. He says there is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. And now as we consider this, this very troubling reality, we should recall some important things again back in chapter 2. And these things set the stage and the backdrop to God's words here in chapter 4. As we've made our way through Hosea thus far, we see that God presents multiple cycles of punishment and mercy. We're going to see that continue in the chapters ahead. Punishment and mercy. The first half of chapter 2 was focused on shame and punishment. And when you look at the second half of chapter 2, we find glorious mercy. And now what in that second half of chapter 2 helps us here in chapter 4? Look at verses 16 through 20. If you want to turn with me there. Look at verses 16 through 20. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband, and no longer call me my master. For I will take from her mouth the names of the Baals, they shall be remembered by their name no more. In that day I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and with the creeping things on the ground. Listen to this language and listen to what he's saying in chapter 4. Bow and sword of battle I will shatter from the earth to make them lie down safely. And notice verse 19. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. Hear those words. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And so here we find the undergirding mercy evidence in covenant restoration. We see the promise of divine betrothal in divine faithfulness. He can do nothing else in any other way other than be faithful in his marriage relationship with his people. And notice what wonderfully, not only is he promising divine betrothal, not only is he promising divine faithfulness, but wonderfully, he promises the knowledge of the Lord. They will know him. The great thing about this promise is that Israel wouldn't just know more about God, but they would know the Lord within the context of covenant relationship and love, something that they had walked away from and abandoned. They would have deep, rich, experiential knowledge of him, praise the Lord. My friends, see how God's words and verses 19 and 20, point us to the marriage of Christ and his church. For our betrothal, our marriage to Christ is and will be forever. Christ's righteousness, justice, loving kindness, and mercy is abundantly clear to us in all his works for us 
and in all of his promises to us, and even those that are to come, his faithfulness is forever present, and it remains. And what does he promise? He promises that we will know him, and we do know him. We know him by the very work of his Spirit in our hearts. We know him by the work of his Spirit in and through his word in our hearts and minds. And we are growing in that knowledge of him, praise the Lord. And so as we think about these promises in chapter 2, coupled with the redeeming love and the promise of return in chapter 3, those only heighten the weight of the people's sin. They heighten the just weightiness of God's charge against them in verse 1 of chapter 4. Again, truth, mercy, and the knowledge of God were gone. They had forgotten their God. They had dismissed his truth. And neither did they proclaim or teach it among themselves. The priests weren't teaching it to the people. The priests were not leading the people as they ought. And God speaks many things in the verses ahead regarding that. They weren't teaching their children these things. The knowledge of God was gone in the land. They also withheld mercy. They failed in their obligation to pity and to help one another and the poor. Justice and charity had disappeared from their midst. Remember Jesus' strong words against the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Very heavy words of rebuke from Christ against such men. And what did the lack of truth and mercy and knowledge look like in Israel? Hosea goes on in verse 2 to say this, By swearing and lying, killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break all restraint, with bloodshed upon bloodshed. Now wait a minute. That is an awful like, sounding like some place like Nineveh. <laughs> like some pagan city. But wait, he's talking about the people of God and Israel? When sin and harlotry and an adulterous heart takes people away, they turn their back on God. All restraint was gone, he said. They broke all restraint. The Israelites were breaking God's law summed up in the Ten Commandments. See that? Even in this list of their crimes, right, in verse 2. See the specifics of the violations of God's law. Hosea lists five violations of the law in verse 2. And these five violations really communicate and include transgression of the whole law. And this view of such violations is what James teaches us in James chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. We read there, For whoever shall keep the whole law and stumble in one point, 
he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So if we see five violations, but really they are guilty of breaking the whole law. But thinking about these specific violations, swearing and lying, killing, stealing, and committing adultery, Israel had gone off the deep end in their sin. They indeed had broken all restraint. Bloodshed upon bloodshed, Hosea said. You know, we, we need to see and recognize the violence of sin. Especially in unchecked and unrestrained sin, when men's hearts are fully set to do evil. We read more about this in Ecclesiastes 8.11. Remember what was true of the kings of Israel. Think back to the first sermon that I did in this series. I know you can remember it crystal clear, word for word. Remember what was true of the kings of Israel, especially the stream of bloodshed that flowed as many men grasped for that crown. Four of the six were assassinated by those that usurped their thrones. Remember that. Remember how, how Zechariah was killed by Shalom after reigning for only six months. Shalom reigned for only one month and was killed by Menahem. And Menahem ruled, and when he eventually died, his son, Pekahiah, took the throne. And Pekahiah only reigned two years and was killed by Pekah, who then took the throne. And we see this all laid out in 2 Kings 15. And so bloodshed upon bloodshed is this picture painted. And so what would be the consequences of these atrocities? Well, Hosea says in verse 3, Therefore the land will mourn. And everyone who dwells there will waste away with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Even the fish of the sea will be taken away. The whole land, beloved, would mourn as it would be stripped of its beauty. As it would be stripped of its bounty. As wonderful things and animals and wildlife Food, resources, were taken away by God. Wonderful aspects of his creation, things that the people relied on, depended on, were gone. You know, this would have and should have reminded Israel of the covenant curses that Moses had spoken of in Deuteronomy 29, verses 23 through 28. If you want to turn with me there, you can Deuteronomy 29, verses 23 through 28, beginning in verse 23, we read, The whole land is brimstone, salt, and burning. It is not sown, nor does it bear, nor does any grass grow there, like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zebulim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and wrath. All nations would say, why has the Lord done so to this land? What does the heat of this great anger mean? 
And notice verse 25. Then the people would say, because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt, for they went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods that they did not know and that he had not given to them, then the anger of the Lord was aroused against this land to bring on it every curse that is written in this book. When the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger and wrath and great indignation and cast them into another land as it is this day. This is a very clear picture then that would also soon be true for Israel in Hosea's time. There was a clear reason as to why these things and these consequences for the atrocities, why the barrenness of the land, why the fruitfulness of the once fruitful land would be a wasteland, why that would be true, because they were covenant breakers, because they were back turners instead of God fearers and law keepers. So Hosea in Hosea 4.4 says this regarding their stumbling and rejection and forgetting. He says, let no man contend or rebuke another. For your people are like those who contend with the priests. Uh, here we're getting and narrowing in and narrowing down as God really drills and reveals to a huge part of the people's problem and their sin resided in their leadership. Whereas God contended against Israel and brought a charge against them, he says that the people shouldn't bring charges against each other here. And why did God say this? Because according to the Mosaic law, the priests had the task of making legal judgments. We see that in Deuteronomy 17, 9-13. However, because of the lack of the knowledge of God in the land which largely demonstrated the failure on the part of the priests as the spiritual leaders in Israel, there was no point in bringing charges, he's saying. And why? The verdict wouldn't be honored. And further, the people didn't respect the, the priest's decision and instruction anyhow. There was no point. There was no knowledge of God in the land or his law. It wouldn't be enforced. Look at verse 5 in, in Hosea 4. Therefore you shall stumble in the day. The prophet shall also stumble with you in the night. And I will destroy your mother. Beloved, because the people couldn't be reproved, because they couldn't be advised or corrected, they would stumble and fall. Notice that God said that they would stumble in the time when most would feel the most secure. In the day. <laughs> they weren't fumbling around at night in the dark. They would stumble in the day. They would also stumble at night as well. At the, at the hands and, and in listening to the words of false prophets. 
Matthew Henry, Henry, a well-known commentator, said this. I think it's helpful. They shall be continually falling into one calamity or another. The darkness of the night shall not help cover thee from trouble, nor the light of the day help thee to flee from it. My friends, the prophets are blind leaders and the people are blind followers. And to the blind day and night are alike. To the blind, day and night are alike. So that whether it's in the day or whether it's at night, both shall fall together into the ditch. The mother, Israel, would be brought to ruin. Look at verse 6a. My people are destroyed, God says. Why? For lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you, reject you from being priests for me. Here again is another aspect of the priest's failure to do their duty. God's people were destroyed for lack of knowledge because the priests and the people rejected the knowledge of God. And God said that he would deal harshly with them for their failure. Beloved, without the knowledge of God, the people spiritually starve. They spiral. They turn in on themselves. Destruction comes upon them. However, when God's people know God experientially, when they hear from him regularly and faithfully from his very word, they desire to live in a manner that is pleasing to him by his grace. To know God is to fear God. To fear God is to love him and to keep his commandments. And so, beloved, even so from this pulpit, May it never be void of the word of God. For that is what you need. That's what I need. We need to be fed and grow and to hear the words of the knowledge of God. We need to hear from him and his word. You don't need my opinions. May that never come from here and out of my mouth. However, they not only rejected such knowledge, he says, but look at verse 6b, the second half. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. That is an extra painful sting because of the sin of the people. Israel consciously and willingly forgot God's law, rejecting it, refusing to obey it, and therefore God would forget their children, he said. Their punishment would sadly have multi-generational impact. You need to know this. Our sins today don't just affect us. Our sins have consequences. And many times those consequences become evident in our children's lives. And so, my friends, this is why it's essential for 
us to know his word and to keep his law. Know his word and keep his law. Keep his statutes. Keep his precepts regularly in the forefront of your minds and in your hearts. That you wouldn't forget it by his grace. That you would love and, and seek to live according to it. That you would that you would put it into practice in your lives and, and keep it fresh on your lips with your children. That you would be godly examples to them and leading them in the ways of the Lord and reinforcing that and helping them in their walk, even when they stumble and fall, that you're there to walk with them and to pick them up. We cannot forget. And we must teach them that they would not forget. Children, Listen to your parents as they lead you in the ways of the Lord and teach you the things of God. Hear the word of God in your own hearts and ears this evening. May it bear fruit for you. Meditate upon it. Keep it safe in your heart. Never forget it. And so as they stumbled, as they rejected knowledge and forgot God's law, what does God say would happen in verse 7? The more they increased, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. They eat up the sin of my people. They set their heart on their iniquity. Beloved, in their arrogance, sin grew, and God would bring their arrogance to an end. He would cut their feet off. He would bring them to the ground. He would bring an end to it. He would bring shame upon them. He would change their glory into shame as much as they would like to glory in themselves and what they had done even in the midst of their, in their, in their sin. God would say, no. This is shameful. You are shamed. I bring shame upon you. They would glory no more in the things that they did. When God says they eat up the sin of my people, they set their heart on iniquity. God is pointing us to the reality that the priests who ate portions of the animals sacrificed for sin, they indeed were encouraging the people to sin. And then the priests would have more to eat. That was the reality of what was going on in their midst. Sin had become the object of their diet. They thrived on it. Their hearts were set. Their souls were lifted up. Sin and iniquity were sustaining them. The priests and their sin, the priests and their failures against the Lord, against His Word, against leading the people in a godly way, they were pointing people to feed on their own sin. This is such a serious matter. The leaders of Christ's church must do what is faithful and right in the eyes of God and in accordance with His Word to care for, to feed, to nurture, to guide and protect His people. Not to encourage them in sin! Even as they're doing their own things in sin. It's all one big, nasty sin party that's spiraling to destruction. God said he would put an end to it. He would not have such leaders do this any further to his people. 
He would punish the leaders for their sin as well as his own people for their own. And notice he says that very thing in verse 9. And it shall be, what? Like people, like priests. Four very clear and impactful words. Like people, like, people, like priests. So I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their deeds. They shall eat, but not have enough. They shall commit harlotry, but not increase, because they have ceased obeying the Lord. Just as God would punish the priests for their failures in leading the people astray, truly no one would escape from God's judgment. They would eat, but they would not be satisfied. Right? They would play the harlot in sexual relationships, but wouldn't increase in their numbers. God would not bless them in this. God would not open the womb because of their treachery and sin. No, they would not increase. And some, they would receive great blessings and gifts from the Lord because of their disobedience. He would reward them in ways that they did not expect. But he would reward them here with discipline. He would reward them for their deeds. But it wouldn't be what they desired or expected. I'll leave you with this. See the importance and the work of the presence of the knowledge of God and the severe consequences that come as a result of its absence. Sometimes we take the knowledge of God for granted. We have it, we know it, we're growing in it, and we've had it for some time. We have not turned our backs on God. But when it is gone, See what happens. Again, when we know God, to know Christ experientially, we desire to live in a manner that is pleasing to Him. Again, to know God is to fear Him. And to fear God is to love Him and to revere Him and to keep His commandments. Keep that in your mind, in your heart. And so as we hear of Israel's stumbling and their rejection of knowledge and their forgetting his law, the clear message is that the opposite should and must be true for us. Instead of stumbling, we must stand in Christ and on his word. If we are standing in Christ and on his word, we are not blind, but we are truly spiritually enlightened by the Spirit's word. in the night, and in the day. As we stand, we must embrace and love growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Notice that. In the grace and the knowledge of Christ. As we stand and embrace, we're mindful of and love His law. We meditate on it, and we seek to be faithful in living according to it. But finally, I also encourage you Pray for me as your pastor. As I am charged with the duty of preaching 
Christ to you and teaching you his word. Pray for your elders, too. For we are all responsible to the Lord for teaching you his truth, helping you to grow in your knowledge and relationship with him. And pray for us as, as we encourage you to flee from temptation and sin and not to wallow in it and sin all the more. We must not be like the priests of Israel that Hosea spoke to. I as your pastor, we as your elders, must do the opposite. It takes courage and strength to do that in the midst of all of the pressures and the stresses and the, the issues of this life. But God's grace is sufficient. His word stands. Christ reigns supreme on his throne and in our hearts. And therefore, it is a joy for us to stand and to proclaim, to teach, to guide, to nurture your hearts and your souls. We watch out for your souls. We have wounds in our backs so that you won't have wounds in yours. But that you'll see Jesus. That is all we desire. Is that you see Jesus. And that you grow in your love for him and your embrace of him. All the days of your life. And that you dwell with him. As his spirit is in you. Walk faithfully with your God. Don't turn your back on him. Walk faithfully with your God. And enjoy his blessings. His true rewards and promises. Indeed that are yes and amen in Christ. Let's pray together.